Welcome to The Appetite. We're clinicians from Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle. I am Carter Umhow, a therapist at Opal and an artist and writer. I'm joined by Opal's founders. Dr. Lexi Kiplin. Kara Bazzi. Julie Church. That's them. Today we're talking about body image and are giving somewhat of an introduction into the way that we think about what healthy body image is. We talk about the difference between body acceptance and body positivity, self-care rituals, and what it means to have a relationship with your body rather than treating it as a project to work on. As always, we're bringing in our expertise and experiences within the eating disorder treatment world as a bridge to all of you. Note that next episode we'll be joined by our first guest, Erin Harrop, who will further deepen the topic of body image, bringing in her research around thin privilege, weight stigma, and fatness. Um, so we're talking about body image today, and as I've been thinking about this, one of the main things that I've noticed myself thinking is that I sort of assume that most women, maybe even most people, start out with somewhat bad body image, mm-hmm. which is sort of a sad assumption to realize mm-hmm. I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not so sure, because mm-hmm. maybe it's a common assumption or a common thing in the world to have negative ideas about your body Mm -hmm. that most people have thought about what it means to have a positive body image or what that would even look like, Mm -hmm. Um, how they would know the difference between kind of the optimal relationship Mm -hmm. to self versus just kind of the average, yeah, you're supposed to hit your body kind Mm -hmm. of thing, which is really sad. Um, But is there a way that we can define what healthy body image is? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean... The first thing I think about with the negative body image is then the response to fix it, right? So mm-hmm. there's that's a much more common mentality of I need to change my body. So we're operating from a place of seeing our bodies as objects. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the thing, one of the main things that we're doing in treatment with our clients is trying to move away from the fix mindset around um, body and and try to begin to be in a relationship with body. And Mm -hmm. so when Mm -hmm. I think of healthy body image, I think of how does that mirror how we would define as healthy relationships, like thinking of even just two people, two people, two person relationships, right? So what is in a healthy relationship? And we can we can speak those things very similar to what that would what that would mean in relationship to ourselves and our body, which is, um, you know, respect, respect. a full range of emotion. So in relationship, we have, you know, Mm. we have moments that we're finding a lot of pleasure in people. We have moments that we're irritated and angry. We have moments that we're sad. We have moments um, that we just, we're feeling lots of feelings towards another Mm. person. And similarly to our bodies, that would be normal. Um, You know, in healthy relationships, there's a tenant, I think of attentiveness and care, both kind of physically and just paying attention to um, and, and a sense of knowing. So if, if we're close to someone in a healthy relationship, we know them pretty well, right? We, we ask them questions. We have curiosity. And orienting ourselves like that to our body is also um, really can beget more of a healthy relationship of just trying to learn from it, mm. noticing how um, allowing it to look and behave in the way that it's authentic versus trying to control it, trying to make it something that it's not. 
So I get excited about mm-hmm. thinking about it in that metaphor of how it mirrors um, our health, a healthy relationship to, to humans. And so many people don't think of uh, relationship mm-hmm. to body in that way. No, mm-hmm. no. And as you were saying that, I was thinking too, wow, it actually takes a huge process to be able to accept in yourself that you would feel multiple things toward the same person or toward exactly. yourself, right? So in exactly. relationship, that's hard work. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I then... can't both be mad and love someone at the same time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So of course we don't know how to do that necessarily with our yeah. bodies right? when there's all this right. external pressure as well. Right. Mm-hmm. More mm-hmm. often we compartmentalize or just see some all or none kind of thinking around, mm-hmm. yeah, the emotions. Mm-hmm. But that's just not realistic. Mm. So when we're thinking about um, kind of this body object or body as object rather than being in relationship to, to a body, there are a lot of components to what that what that entails. Um, what do you all think contributes to mm-hmm. to objectifying mm-hmm. the body? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, another word that sort of is like, well, duh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, <laughs> right? But mm-hmm. but what are these factors that, that lead us to kind of be living in a, a culture of objectified mm-hmm. bodies? Well, the main thing, I'll start, and then yeah. you guys, yeah. I'd love to hear what you think. But I think a main one is just the thin ideal, right? That, mm-hmm. that there is um, this perception of what is beautiful and then all the attachment to what the thin ideal is, right? Like if, if, and and think of, I mean, most people would be aware of this, the mass marketing around, um, the desirable external appearance and what it is connected to, which is often love, sense Mm. of belonging, connection, which everybody wants. So of course we want that. Of course, if, if the belief is that if my body looks a particular way, I will gain these, uh, I will gain love and care, then, I mean, that's why a lot of people are willing to go at great lengths to change their body because um, they want love. I mean, ultimately, I think there's a des- there's the desire for connection. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, within that, too, kind of take the step back because I think when you said this in terms of media or culture and, like, where does that thin ideal come from? Mm-hmm. And I think for so many people, it can be within a relationship that they felt that that thin ideal was idealized, right? Mm -hmm. So this particular ideal was there. And then they were like, oh, well, this person to be in Mm -hmm. relationship with this particular person I want to be in relationship with, I need to look a certain way. But I think one of the things that is so um, helpful, I guess, in, in when somebody is really trying to understand this better is to kind of take the step back and go, okay, well, how did that person come to think that that was the ideal right. because mm-hmm. they became, they started to have that totally. ideal from what? And it could have been somebody in their life that mm. communicated the ideal to them and where that person get in. And it could be totally. all relationally. And then you kind of start to think about images and media and advertising and like the things that contribute to that and definitely objectify all human bodies really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's, it's, I think it's a good thing to stop and pause and go like people, a lot of talks body image want to talk about media and the images that we see and how we're bombarded by those things. But I think it's so important to recognize that usually it's because there's a relationship that mattered to them. Right. And that relationship was impacted right. by the, the mm-hmm. ideals that are in our society about appearance. And, and we can't lose sight of the historical context because that's also contributes to the thin or what the ideal is at any given moment in time. So. Right. I mean, if we do the body him- image history lesson, the, yeah. the quick the quick and short of it is that it's changed over time and the ideal has changed. And, 
you know, the thin ideal didn't really come on the scene until the 1960s with Twiggy. And before that, Marilyn Monroe was the icon of beauty. And if you go all the way back to Renaissance era, women with large roles and fat and big bodies were considered Mm -hmm. the beautiful image and it was a sign of wealth. And so, you know, it's, it's socially constructed. It's not these things change over time and there's you know the of course there's like the the research about countries who have been without tv and then they get introduced into tv and then they then they start to adopt the then ideal there was the Mm. study in fiji where that happened Mm. so there's the historical side of things it's when the um when the ideal runs in conflict with who we actually are as women Mm -hmm. you know that there's Mm -hmm. that why why isn't the ideal reflection of who we actually mm-hmm. are, right. right, and is and why why would that be? Why would it be mm-hmm. that there would be an ideal totally. that isn't reflective of of real women in the world? Totally. I mean, what mm-hmm. what's that about? That's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, can tie that in with all with social justice concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sitting with that dissonance as women is is, mm-hmm. is where I think what one place that body image dissatisfaction is born with seeing mm-hmm. like, gosh I'm not I'm not measuring up to this mm-hmm. standard mm-hmm. that's being presented in all these different ways and mm-hmm. um, the conflict mm-hmm. and inadequacy that's born right. out of that mm-hmm. dissonance right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I've thought more about um, just the role of something being familiar in relation to how you feel about your body and if you're like what you're saying, Lexi, like if, if you're not around um, different shapes or sizes or diversity, then that can also like what can be familiar can be the thing that um, can become ideal because it's more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like I think of even with my own kids, I've been aware of um, just sort of we come from a more thin family or genetically we're we're all um, tall on the tall side and thin. And so of course, there's going to be a comfort from my girls with our our sort of our body shapes because they get to see them every day. They get to see them mm-hmm. all the time. They get tons of exposure to it. So then they see something that's different. And often the different is more like scary because it's it's something they haven't seen. And so how do we help? How do we help uh, people kind of... Um, yeah, reconcile something that's different and and not go to interpretations that are so negative, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this on so many levels because now if we're if we're talking about um familiarity, I think that we then we get into this conversation around um tribalism potentially mm-hmm. too and kind of how we recognize and identify if we belong right so back to the acceptance piece by knowing if we are okay if we can see someone and recognize okay yes they look mm-hmm. like part of my tribe yes they're acting like my tribe okay mm-hmm. i'm safe i'm good yep um and so <laughs> the craziness of having like one type of body one race one one performance of gender etc like all out in the mm-hmm. open is that then when we are um, not necessarily seeing that in ourselves or maybe even the people around us, I think it does div- does turn into not just fear but also potentially hatred mm-hmm. as well. So hatred of the other that doesn't look like this ideal or doesn't look like yourself maybe if it's you mm-hmm. um, or then hatred of yourself mm-hmm. too um, because you're internalizing, oh, that I'm not supposed to look like that. Mm-hmm. This is what it, the world is supposed to be. 
I know that I'm not safe now. Mm-hmm. And so much of this goes underground. It's so silent. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's silent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think of all the ways that people, I think especially with kids in this way, just with the, de- the development side, but how much just gets buried in, in their thoughts and there's not conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's sadly that things just get more and more internalized. Right. The um, And I used to, my research <laughs> back in graduate school was in body image dissatisfaction and the thin ideal internalization mm-hmm. is like the mm-hmm. most um, potent factor in con- contribution to um, body image dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like believing that the thin, the thin, the thin, mm-hmm. thinness is ideal. Yeah, mm-hmm. is what really can get our get us in trouble, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because it's not just that it's there in our culture; it's that we ourselves would take it in as our ideal, mm-hmm. as our own personal ideal yeah. as well. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does. It makes me wonder too for my own self because I, I'm a woman of the world. I always say, and so I have to <laughs> figure out every day how to love my body and eat the way mm-hmm. I want to. Um, but I think in that, though, okay, well, what contributed to my journey mm-hmm. leading to the fact that I never got to a place of having body dissatisfaction or negative body image to a point that I would harm my body with an eating disorder or other means, I, I, you know, but I would say it's ebbed and flowed. And so, yeah, I just kind of wonder, like, what, you know, and I mm-hmm. think of places like the YMCA yeah. where I grew up going and seeing the diverse body sizes and shapes. And even within my own family and my close friends and the community I was a part of. I don't, I didn't see one universal body. I was really, when I think back on that, I'm like, interesting. Like, I do really see mm-hmm. that. Um, and within my genetic pool, I see diversity actually in mm-hmm. sizes. So that's interesting. And I wonder how much that was protective for me, mm-hmm. right? Because I maybe didn't internalize that. But I was, and I was pretty into the things that were cool, I guess I'd say. Like, <laughs> I don't know, like I had the like, I, I think of all the teeny boppy, mag- teeny bopper magazines. Cheerleader Julie. Yes. Um, but I liked all those things, um, yeah. which I like. I'm scared for my kids. Like I want, I want to reject that those things for my kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want them to see the men's health magazines because you know I've already made it clear to them that that's photoshopped. Like very mm-hmm. small amount of people mm-hmm. look that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably edited to look that way, even if that body sort of looks like that in real life, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so I just it's interesting because I still I looked at all that stuff mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and so just curious to wonder mm-hmm. what's what were the protective factors for me? Yeah, something comes to my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about for either of you in terms of your kind of relationship to your body growing up or the context that you were in that got you yeah. thinking about these things? Well, I um, went down the road of an eating disorder. <laughs> I think that's already been outed in, in the earlier podcast. Um, but I think interesting, I, I was, you know, I, I've been reflecting a little bit about this given that we're doing this podcast and um, just thinking about, you know, I, I like I said, my my family were all genetically on that thin side, tall. So I think I just lived with thin privilege growing up, didn't realize it, but didn't think much about my body. I don't think I was um, that, I don't remember having much body dissatisfaction, but I remember the main focus of my body was in athletics Mm -hmm. and it was what it could do, how it could perform. It was less about the aesthetic, but I also think I was benefit. I didn't have a lot of, um, you know, negative comments towards, towards me. Um, and my family didn't comment much about body either. So I was a little insulated, but also didn't have, um, much awareness about it. And so I think that was actually, um, didn't help me in the, in in the future. But anyways, I was, um, 
I pushed myself through sport and then that was really where the, the entry of my eating disorder came in was more from a performance standpoint of this desire or losing weight and, and desire to be more thin for sport performance. Mm. But then once my eating disorder changed and I started um, binging and restricting and, and over-exercising, my body changed and I started, uh, my body got gained weight um, and that's where I would say like a more, the more kind of what you assume to be with an eating disorder came online where there was just, um, a lot more hatred. And mm-hmm. I think, um, just that I, that's where the idealized kind of thin ideal came to the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I remember, you know, we talk about this with, with OC and UC, but I, that just sort of that very hyper-focused, um, objective eyes on my body and other people's bodies of nitpicking every single thing that I didn't like, um, wanting it to change and feeling less than in all comparisons. Um, so I was, even though he would still, if you looked at me, I would still be a, somebody in the big picture privileged by thin ideal. I was also, um, you know, uh, what's, what's the word? Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, a victim. I don't want to use the word victim, but a victim of it in the sense that that's where that was what was fueling my body hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so, I mean, that it was just it was interesting to have that be kind of. I was recognizing how how I was affected by thin privilege, even though I benefited from it, mm-hmm. um, and how what that then led to in in my recovery process of of. Um, facing some of that fat prejudice and asking those questions for the first time of what defines beauty? Why, wh- why did, why have I even come to believe what I've believed? Mm-hmm. I mean, I never had to ask those questions until I went through the recovery process. So I see that recovery process as a really big gift, even though it was painful and, um, and so, so challenging. Mm. So. Mm. So in a way, once there was some sort of like change, even in your body, especially in your body, maybe mm-hmm. um, that was the point at which you were even realized the water you were swimming in. Totally. Of. Exactly. Yeah. Before that, I think mm-hmm. I was just kind of in la la land. I was just mm-hmm. like, whatever, you know, yep. I just, re- the only thing I remember having negative body image in high school is I had a really flat chest. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't develop, <laughs> develop breasts. And so basketball games, I remember being very self-conscious about my sports bra (laughs) Um, and boys watching me play basketball. Like that was, that was the only area of body consciousness I had. And other than that, I was just kind of living in a bubble until Mm. my eating disorder developed. And Mm -hmm. then it was like, Whoa, here's this whole world of um, hatred and, and just such a way to uh, just really Mm-hmm. harm my yeah harm my, harm myself and harm other people by my fat prejudice and and my mentality and it just really came yeah came to the surface mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's so it's really sad thinking about um even yeah just the how the kind of even the the, the eyes I had of just how I would look at people and how myself. critical you were how critical yeah. so critical mm-hmm. and to think now how I can't even describe. It's just so different. It's like I have different eyes. It's mm. um, amazing. It, it it really is. It's hard to even imagine being back in. I can't. I almost can't imagine mm-hmm. seeing that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Well, now I want to ask about the process that that mm. kind of changed that. You say mm. you have different eyes. I mean, that's mm. a pretty huge deal. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, people have asked me, I've gotten that question a lot, uh, especially my role as a therapist, and it's hard to to describe the process. I think it's hard to lay it out, but um, I think there was a lot of work involved in having my eyesight change, but I think one of the big things was exposure and um, doing a lot of hard experiential work and... Um, and then, and being more aware of of what it, what's going on with thin privilege mm-hmm. and, um, and and just um, yeah, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, that's good because I was going to ask you a question. Great. Okay, I totally just lost my train of that's thought. That's okay. Well, um, I was going to ask you what the experiential work looked like. What does that mean? Yeah, I think like some of it is really tangible and practical of facing some of the things that I avoided. Um, I mean, there was a lot of ways I was making my life smaller because of my body image avoidance. Um, Some of it was, I remember a specific example. I might have even said this in an earlier podcast, but going to a beach, having a friend um, down in California, see what I knew I had body image distortion. I mean, mm. I think I knew I had it. And so just having, letting, making myself vulnerable, letting my friends say what she saw on the beach and have her describe bodies and really mm. highlight the way that my eyes were distorted. And it was, I feel like there was something really powerful in that exchange because, um, I trusted what I trusted her eyesight essentially. Wow. Um, and then I exposed myself to lots of images. I did, um, you know, I, I looked at women in larger bodies. I looked at, um, I, I did some of my own kind of, I worked with some photography of my own body. Cool. Um, I think I, I just faced a lot of, a lot of fears and, and really, I mean, in some ways it aligned with a lot of the values I have around empowerment and social justice so it's as the more I exposed the more it got me kind of I guess excited about um about seeing things differently um and then my I don't know how the eyesight changed but the eyesight started to change and I really it's um it's almost hard I think in some ways I went through this phase where I thought gosh my body doesn't even it doesn't even really matter my body because I, my eyesight had changed so much. And so then I had to get to a stage of reconciling that my body did matter <laughs> with the help of Lexi and Julie. Mm-hmm. Um, mattered in what way? Like mattered to, be to other people to, because we are in a world where there is, where there is this thin ideal. And I couldn't deny that my body meant something in the world, even mm-hmm. though for me, um, I don't, I don't feel like it, it, the thin ideal dominates my, my life to the same degree. Um, but I think that's where I was sort of missing the boat in the other kind of extreme of pretending like my body size mm-hmm. didn't matter and and that um, that my external appearance has an impact on mm-hmm. on relationships with people, especially in the higher level of care eating disorder mm-hmm. setting where I'm being objectified all the time. And I, I really I mean, I think of Julie and Lexi have been an incredible, incredible um, relationships for change. And I feel very like just indebted. I mean, I just felt like it was a really incredible experience for them to um, kind of gently confront me on that. Mm. Um, And I also think about the first co-leader in our body image group at Opal Mm. six years ago, who also challenged me a lot in some of the ways that I still needed some growth around what my body meant in the world, especially Mm. being in a thinner body and doing this work and holding my privilege responsibly. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you moved from from kind of objectifying yourself and everybody else in this really crippling, really mm-hmm. paralyzing 
stifling way Mm -hmm. and then having kind of like this awakening Uh (laughs) of um, kind of casting that aside Mm. and being beyond the body in a way. (laughs) Right. Being beyond the body. But I also imagine you sort of like looking at these beautiful books and kind of the fear that you might have had looking at a larger body um, and then being able to be exposed and say, okay. I mean, I don't know what you would have been thinking, but okay, yes. Yes, that is another body. Okay, I can look at that without having this huge reaction. I can look at um, someone that's different than me Mm. and not be worried Mm -hmm. or worried about the unknown. Yeah, the fear connection had really been broken. Yeah. And then you moved into, again, realizing, like, okay, yes, we still have bodies. They still matter in the world. Yes. Yeah. And I'm a part of the society, and mm-hmm. I have to – I can't just be off in a different mm-hmm. island yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a responsibility in a way right. to that. Which, and sometimes I don't feel a sense of belonging because I, I do feel some of that vulnerability of, of not kind of feeling like I might be in the, some, the same places as other people with it, but – and not in a, like – yeah, I'm concerned it could come off. There's like some better than, which is not how it feels. But anyways, that's mm. there's a vulnerability in that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Lexi, <sighs> what about you? about you? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I listened to Kara, and I'm like, gosh, that, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> and that, I think my experience is maybe more normative um, than than Kara's in the sense that. Um, I, I would like to see differently. Um, and I, and I, my beliefs and, um, values are aligned with, um, with, um, non, with, with, I guess with, what would we say? I mean, with with feminist ideas, mm-hmm. and um, you would want to see your own body differently, or other bodies differently, or I mean, it's probably more more applied to myself, um, okay. so yeah. that I feel more stuck in it. Like because I yeah. I think I would like to think different. I would like to experience my body differently. Mm-hmm. That's something I would love, um, and I would love to to be able to do experiential. You know, I've done yeah. a lot of that work, but my my sense of my physical self. Or my experience of my physical self doesn't necessarily, my emotional experience of mm-hmm. my physical self mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily shift mm. despite um, the life I'm living, the people mm-hmm. I'm around, the different ways that the exposure I'm getting to different ideas. It mm. feels almost like it's a, it's a rigid um, discontent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a place where I don't feel as much flexibility in mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I, and I, in talking to women, you know, these many years, I, I think I've always resonated with mm-hmm. their experiences. This is what I hear from them mm-hmm. too. It's just this more of this normative discontent and this frustration that um, different ways of thinking simply can't change how we feel mm-hmm. our experience necessarily. Mm-hmm. Would you also so, but also similar to our clients often, right? Is that they can see, they can have those eyes for other people right. and have. Uh, appreciation of beauty in a lot of different shapes and sizes and different presentations, but then being able to internalize that for them own, their own selves is yeah. the challenge. Would you say that that's similar to what you're yeah, saying it's too? More, yeah, it's more in my own experience. And it's, it seems like my body image um, 
satisfaction has taken a nosedive over mm-hmm. the life course, <laughs> which I don't, you know, I think often it's more in adolescence and tw- mm-hmm. in our 20s that, you know, you would have mm-hmm. body image is maybe more, is more prevalent. Body mm-hmm. image satisfaction is more mm-hmm. prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I know you're saying that and I'm sort of like, well, but there are plenty of things in adolescence where your body's changing a ton and you're kind of getting to know yourself as a, a sexual being during that time or kind of coming into your own and whatever that means for each individual. But as an adult, your body is changing drastically (laughs) as well Um, in maybe subtler ways, but the aging process I know is just Mm -hmm. difficult Mm -hmm. and, you know, people, their lifestyles change or they have children or like there's so many different factors. So Mm -hmm. sounds like there's something on either side. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Yeah. The naivete kind of in the early stages of life, though, could kind of allow for you to kind of breeze through, right? And then it feels like in the reality. I mean, Lexi, you're like such a smart, thoughtful person that does self-inquiry around everything, right? Like you're going to (laughs) be – so it's almost like are you thinking about it too much? You know, I'm just not really – And and I think that's – I I feel some – some resistance around body image conversations in mm-hmm. general because I often mm-hmm. just think is is mm-hmm. is body image actually the problem you know mm-hmm. because I just I think a basic assumption I make about myself um, and others is that um, if I'm not feeling if something's up with how I'm feeling about my body that this is kind of signaling mm-hmm. to me that there's something that there's there's something to learn from mm-hmm. right potentially so that um the dysregulation I feel in my body is is maybe more of an opportunity for growth than mm-hmm. um, than it really has than having anything to actually do about my actual body. Yeah, yeah. it moves um, you towards your emotional world, your psychological, social. Yeah, emotional, yeah. And I think I have I make that assumption with clients as well is that you know, mm-hmm. it in our time in our culture, it's it's a way that we have of communicating our pain as women and mm-hmm. as men mm-hmm. as well. But mm-hmm. it's it's a way of saying. I don't feel okay more generally. Mm-hmm. And so I often just think, is it really about, is yeah. it really about your body? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so shifting that conversation away from the body. Cause, cause if oh. you, if you think it's about your body, then the solution is in changing your body. body. Mm-hmm. Right. And we all know where that goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And totally. it just takes you down a path that may not um, be fruitful in terms of growth and learning. You might just stay on, on the, mm-hmm. on a wheel of, projectness mm-hmm. <laughs> and repair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that you've brought that up um, mm-hmm. because I don't know. I, I'm someone that's always thought in metaphor so much. So um, kind of like came into my own psychological health, probably through poetry first and like thinking about the world through metaphor. And, and I think about bodies in that way too, that whatever our struggle is with our body probably has something to do metaphorically with something more psychological or something Mm -hmm. more relational. Um, And so it is, and it isn't about the body Mm -hmm. almost always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet at the same time, we can't escape our bodies Mm -hmm. and we're in them and it's important to be embodied. And I think that we believe that as well. Um, But I think it's the objectification Mm -hmm. that is, I think mm-hmm. really at the root of of maybe why we'd I don't know what I'm mm-hmm. saying why it actually. would be manifested yeah. through <laughs> right. our right. body that exactly. objectification yeah. of culture yeah. mm-hmm. there's and a reason it's it's, it's in the manifested body. Mm-hmm. in yeah. right. our physical selves totally. exactly and right. and as as um as a woman I think that my 
identity has definitely, I've become a kind of more accepting of myself and my body the more that I understood that I was being objectified and that mm. I was white and that I was female and that there were expectations around what that looked like mm -hmm. and what that what I was supposed to act like or how I was supposed to dress to sort of play out these things in my life. And if you're aware of those things or you're aware of kind of expectations familially around mm -hmm. what your body should look like or or whatnot, um, suddenly you start realizing, I can't really fit into that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or there's a part of me that doesn't. What the hell do I do now? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can wind up really harming themselves to just change their body rather than right. really reconcile. Withdrawing right. from the beauty contest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm. And I think that's the fun opportunity we have with, with people coming into treatment is they've paused their life. They put their life on hold to do that work and, and that we're a part of the process with them. Um, to do to walk down an alternative path rather than spending all their energies on fixing their body. So, mm -hmm. and we're starting with the basics of having them be more like helping support them be more nourished again, um, and taking care of like the basics of taking care of their body, and then being able to unravel some of these things mm -hmm. while they're taking care of their body, right. which is so fun and hard mm -hmm. and. Long term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Long work. Long term, long -term work. work. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. that speaks to sort of the embodiment because you can't take care of your body unless you're actually connected to your right, body. Right. the relationship Which means part. then you have to, yeah, back to the things we said at the very beginning about relationship yes. with the body mm -hmm. requires yes. that you are embodied and that you notice that this is yes. part of who I am and who, who I am in this world and yes. therefore I will mm -hmm. interact with it and care for it and nurture it and yep. have mm -hmm. all the range of emotions about it. Yeah, and I think that, that that feeds into this idea about body acceptance versus being, mm -hmm. like, 100% mm -hmm. body-obsessed, body, mm -hmm. like, love. in love with your body. Body love is, I think, a big a big phrase these days. But mm -hmm. um, to actually be able to um, embrace that range of emotion, it's about realizing and accepting what is mm -hmm. um, and what emotion is present, what feeling is there, and then mm -hmm. still going care. on and taking care taking care of your body yeah, yeah. well and I, I guess I want to speak to that um a bit more because I, I think I, I have a little bristle that comes up yeah. as I as I listen to that because I, I guess I don't I don't assume that body image dissatisfaction and a lack of attunement to body gets would necessarily get in the way of living a full life and taking care of your body mm. I think you could have you could feel body image dissatisfaction and not be fully attuned to your body every day mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. live pretty fully. And I mm -hmm. guess I, you know, I, the idealization I, of some of that. Yeah, I guess get a little because I and I also like that's just not my experience. Mm -hmm. And I think I've, I feel like I've lived a different experience than that. And I also see that people in treatment will often wait until, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to wait to start my life until right. I feel a particular way about my body or mm -hmm. certainly we hear looking a particular way, but mm -hmm. even yeah. feeling a particular way, feeling a sense of freedom in the body before living fully. And mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I think to that that's an assumption that maybe is not always mm -hmm. experienced that we can, I, mm -hmm. we can mm -hmm. live fully, have strong connections in our relationships, mm -hmm. do what we want to do in life. Mm -hmm eat the foods we want to eat and feel really crappy about our bodies. Totally. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, within that full range of emotion, I think someone can be like, not like it. (laughs) That can be one of the, that can be more of maybe a consistent feeling towards the body. And I, I think the work that we, that we're doing, especially more directly in body image group is okay. Along with then how are you doing? How are you, how, what are the, what's the action, the behavior side of how you're relating to your body and food and relationship and all of that amidst all that emotion. And I think that's the, Mm. I mean, that's where, yeah, I mean, I I don't, I don't think we're going for an ideal of having particular emotions around the body. Um, Mm. but living despite the, like living with it, with it, with those emotions. Um, and a lot of times people are just avoiding all the, all the emotions. I mean, that's because they're avoiding the relationship part of when they're, when they're, um, when they're objectifying their body and trying like just putting the energy towards fixing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is that I love the radically open dialectical behavioral therapy work when it comes to body image, you know, thinking about it as a sign of, as, as dysregulation that could be, Mm -hmm. Um, opportunity for growth and learning Mm -hmm. yeah versus it a problem of the body necessarily Mm -hmm. yeah yeah could I speak to one of some of the things we've done with um please yeah in in groups so some of the just this could be I think one question could be well how do you start um moving towards more of a relationship with your body than a project rather than objectifying um and one of the one of the ways we think about it again, going back to the very beginning of this podcast uh, episode, with thinking about the mirror to healthy relationships and having getting to know and having communication, two way communication. Um, one of the exercises we do is writing a letter, um, mm-hmm. doing letter writing. So writing a letter to the body and having the body write a letter to yourself, and then sometimes we add in a third letter of having. Um, let's see the writing a letter from our younger self to, um, our current self. Wow. And it's usually a very, we, we cycle through this group every couple months and it's usually a really powerful experience to get at kind of the full range of emotion and the tone of the letters are always just, they're kind of all over the place. Sometimes they're massive, just letters of hatred where people are just, you know, <laughs> the pen is pulling through the paper and some letters are um, those of grief. Some of, some have a tone of forgiveness, some have anger, and then a little bit of um, opening for compassion. But it, 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 you, you see, especially when someone's been through treatment, they go through different iterations of writing the letter. You can see changes between the time where people mm-hmm. are working like, like in a relationship where there's a change process um, and different emotions come out. And it's real that part to be a witness to, as a body image leader, it's really powerful to see that process mm-hmm. um, go through. And uh, I thought it could be a cool um, thing to bring in a letter that that one of the clients has written to their body. Yes, I love that. Okay, so okay. Read should I read it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so dear body, I don't really want to write this letter to you. I felt like things had been going pretty well between us, like we had started to work together, but now I'm angry again. I guess the problem is that I, I wait, oh, sorry, I want a relationship with you, but I still want it on my own terms. Actually, that isn't exactly true. I don't really want a relationship. I just don't want to have it, have to think about you at all. I want you to do, be what I want and quit changing. I don't want to feel scared or angry. I don't want to accept that your weight or size will go up and down. 
I really am sorry for all the hurt I've caused. I can see now that so many of the anger and judgments I had about you were my fault. I don't know. Maybe they were my eating disorder's fault. Either way, I try to act all superior, but I look at all the decisions I have made that hurt you and realize how cruel I've been. So many of the things I hate about you, you did to protect me. I don't know why I keep blaming you for everything. It is not your fault. I feel kind of funny writing that. I've been told that exact thing. Life would just be so much easier if we could just blame ourselves for all our mess and hurt. Then we would deserve it. That is simple. That is what I know. Problem is, I can't just blame myself anymore. I guess that's why I can't just blame you either. Doesn't it make it much easier to like you, though? I can't make any promises. I'm still extremely uncomfortable with you, but I do know I want a life, a real life. I want to be present with my kids to teach them the joy of moving in their bodies. I want to enjoy holding my husband's hand or having a family snuggle on the couch. Mm -hmm. I know I need you for any of those things. Maybe right now that is enough. It's so fun to hear that. Yeah. 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 I particularly love that last bit, just kind of around actually having some appreciation for the things that we do enjoy in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I think that so, so much as we've been talking about, the body gets objectified as something that's supposed to look a certain way or do certain things for us. But mm-hmm. in reality, there are, there really are a lot of things that like snuggling or mm-hmm. holding someone's hand or petting a cat or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. um, that bring us massive amounts of pleasure mm-hmm. or comfort or whatever else. And there's mm-hmm. no way of kind of escaping some of that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know I hear the, the kind of pain around the uncertainty too and kind of the process that she sounds like she's in the middle of, right? Mm-hmm. Of just being, mm-hmm. okay, I, yeah, you're, you will change over time and up and down in terms of weight or I don't know what our relationship's looking like, like mm-hmm. so much uncertainty in that. And I think the myth so much with using our body as a project is that it, therefore we can get to an end and it will be then certain. Right. And I know where I'm going and it will look this way or be this way or do this. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah. I think that, feels like something that we hold so often and bring so often to the conversation around mm-hmm. body image yeah. uh, work with our clients. Yeah, it reminds me a ton of our conversation around forgiveness, actually. Mm-hmm. This idea of really being in a place of having to accept and forgive maybe where your body has gone and where it's been and mm-hmm. the fact that you don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen next. Um grieving mm-hmm. the changes and grieving um, the I don't knows and being willing to still show up in the ambiguity of what's next. Um, mm-hmm. That feels really true of just being in relationship to oneself, but also just being in relationship to life as we all know totally. it. It's being unpredictable and mm-hmm. and needing to, to grieve constantly. Totally. Things changing. What I've seen in the last six years was, as we've done these letters is it does – give a place to really express that grief and the anger and and by giving by giving that ex- time and um emotion it mm-hmm. does break open and gives a little bit more room for self-compassion mm-hmm. um typically with uh, i've noticed that happening when people are get in touch with that mm-hmm. so i wanted to ask you guys about um different different things that you all do in terms of self-care or different things that you do to establish relationship with your body whether that's actually in terms of 
something that's helped you build a stronger relationship to your body that's allowed you to love different parts of your body that maybe you didn't love before or um Lexi like you were speaking to just different things that allow you to just keep moving and really still engaging in life in a way even if you're not necessarily feeling a particular way about your body that day mm. um can you all think of of different uh, different things or rituals that you all have in that category mm. shall i start <laughs> I mean, yeah, totally <laughs> you want you got sure yeah. you got it go for it um well i just was thinking of even this letter from this gal I think a lot of what I, what I realize a lot of rituals are actually around my kids and their touch. Mm. Um, having, I love it when my kids, um, brush my hair and braid my hair (laughs) and scratch my arm and scratch my back. (laughs) I have a lot of, uh, when I'm feeling overwhelmed and anxious, there's a lot of, um, things touch that feels really like self care with them. Mm. Also, I mean, sports continue to be such a place of self care. Um, and I think being alone is like a big deal to take care of my body and calm down, slowing down and being alone. Um, also, yeah, I love a good facial. <laughs> Facials are my favorite yes. thing. I love massages. <laughs> I discovered Thai massage. That's amazing. Ooh. <laughs> I like showering. I like showering. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I like... Mm. And there's times I'm not attuned to my body. So to that point too, of just like there's times I push my body. I'm, I'm, I'm an achiever. I'm competitive. And there's times I like definitely push my body past lots of limits. Mm. I mean, this is just reality, and I'm not tuning in, and I'm not saying responding to what it might want. <laughs> <laughs> so that happens too, and mm. and it always it it just it does. It feels like it's happy when I take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's interesting. My, I don't, uh, self-care is not my strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's interesting when I think about, um, this is going to sound so cliche coming from the dietitian in the room. I don't want to <laughs> say it. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I think my, my appetite cues and the way that my body works has always been very, very, um, clear. Mm. Um, and so I, I eat, like I, I make sure to take care of myself with that. And there's just, it's such clear evidence when I don't feed myself well, um, if I'm, yeah, just out of busyness or whatever it is. And that is one thing I, I think back to when we opened Opal and that was when I was going back to work full time and I was nursing my second child at the time Whoa. and doing a lot of the meals with the clients. And I felt, and we just, as owners, we decided, yeah, we're going to, we're going to allow the lunch at Opal to be also a part of our compensation. <laughs> um, and so we would always, and we still do, um, have the, whatever the meal is that the clients and the staff are having, we also go out and get our portion, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think about that, like, oh, Yes. Like, <laughs> such a big thing um, to be able to have that. That was like a way to sort of be continually, easily um, nourished with such wide variety of yummy food and regularly, easily accessible. So um, I think of that time. Uh, and I just have always known that about my my genetics. Mm. It's similar to my father. It's mm-hmm. just like we know when we're going to get the headache if you don't do <laughs> well, it. And mm-hmm. I, so Amazing. I've just always had clear. So, yeah, that is something that's never compromised in my way of caring for myself and Mm. um and yeah I think 
the um, the the weaning of my third child is still a difficulty, um, probably because it's going to be going down for like one of my most um, pleasurable things in life is mm. nursing my children. Mm. Um, so he just still wants a little bit of mama's milk, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> please, please. Um, so I think that those are things that come to my mind, but it's mm. so cliche to have the dietitian talk about food. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Own it, Julie. Oh, I appreciate oh, it. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> but oh, I couldn't do anything without it. That's okay. <laughs> I like it. What about you, Lexi? Um, cuddling with Ela. Yeah. Oh, yes. Your daughter. Yeah, my daughter. Um, and sports, I would say mm. as well. Um, I, if I, if I really think about what actually happens on the ground when I'm feeling, having a harder time mm. with my body, I probably, I, I think I do move into more of a self inquiry mm-hmm. about it. Cause I just yeah. assume that there's what's going on. What's, what does this mean about who I am in the world? What, mm-hmm. what, what, how is it that I'm arriving here mm-hmm. in this moment today with my body? What does mm-hmm. that mean? What can I learn? And I, I think I'm like strongly in that now. And I, I, I guess I, I feel like that's um a way of taking care of my myself i love that it's probably mm-hmm. my most powerful self-care mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. strategy mm-hmm. yeah i love that um you're defining self-care in that way mm-hmm. i think that like all three of you just defined it in a really in different ways with a lot of nuance and i think that um it's not just about like doing something that's I don't know, relaxing or indulgent or something like that. Sometimes it's the parenting work or it's the intellectual work or it's the like connection work as well Mm -hmm. of being relational Mm -hmm. both with others and with ourselves too. So, Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you to Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for writing our music. If you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more, please subscribe on iTunes. You can connect with Opal Food and Body Wisdom on Facebook, Twitter, or opalfoodandbody.com. Also, Opal is having our annual Health at Every Size training on January 24th in Seattle. If you have become intrigued by Hayes since listening to the podcast, go to our website and register for the event. It's free and open to the general public.